Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey everybody, Holden here. And I'm Jake. And we are so excited to tell you about the last podcast network, Country Jamboree in Nashville, Tennessee, at the historic Ryman Auditorium on June 18th. Holy shit, Jake, this is going to be amazing. Now I know what you're thinking, what is a Country Jamboree for a podcast network? Well, it's a (laughs) super show where literally all the shows from the last podcast network will be gracing the stage. We're talking the OG boys, last podcast on the left, page seven with uh, Holden McNeely, uh, Wizard and the Bruiser with also Holden McNeely. No dogs in space. Brighter side. Fraudsters. fraudsters. Someplace underneath. The story must be told. Fraudsters. It's going to be an incredible fraudsters. show. Fraudsters is definitely going to be there. It's going to be an incredible show. Come check it out. Again, that's Nashville, Tennessee, June 18th. Ryman Auditorium. Last podcast network country jamboree. Don't miss it. Tickets available now. Then it is me, your '90s comedy uh, all-star, evil scientist, wizard, Jake. Hey, everybody! It's me, Sonic. Remember me from the '90s? <laughs> ah, I'm so excited! Ooh, and I'm a kid. But am I a kid? But I'm a totally a kid, and I might have <laughs> attention issues. What's up, everybody? It's me, Sonic the Wizard. Holden hey, Holden. Uh, me and my friends were talking, and your face is wrong. Your face is you bad, mean? and we've decided what? to change your face. I have okay. a, I have 800,000 Twitter followers. I have a petition. And I just want you to know that if you don't change your face right now and make it less shitty, uh, we're not going to continue this podcast. Well, if you could find a classic Holden fan, like a classic one from like Roundtable Days to oversee <laughs> my face change, then maybe I'll let you do that. But if not, then we're going to have some problems, son. Uh, I know that seems like a, that seemed really out of line. It feels like I shouldn't be able to just demand that you change your face, but it kind of worked out, so I think morally I'm in the right. Well, what about my horrifying claw hands? Ah, and your legs are so muscular. And those <laughs> yeah, teeth, that's right. those horrid, horrid teeth. <laughs> Holden, we did an episode on Sonic the Hedgehog. In fact, it was sort literally of, our first episode. Our first episode. I, uh, I still feel like we owe an actual Sonic the Hedgehog episode to the world because that episode was... You know, Sega does what Nintendo don't, right? That mm-hmm. whole episode was really, uh, uh, we weren't even, we didn't even know what the show was specifically like we do now. We we picked like a, a moment in nerd history and we covered it. Whereas now we, we really deal in properties. 
a lot more so, right? Well, we covered the 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 essential tension of Sonic, which is he was sure. explicitly made to be this cool, uh, like all American badass take on like a classic Looney Tunes character. Uh-huh. He was like Mickey Mouse with Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan combined into this blue attitude guy. And Sonic blossomed. He was everything Mario wasn't. He was this incredible lightning rod for every kid that just, you know, read, you know, wanted to rebel just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then 30 years went by and that's really hard to maintain. Everything that was once cool becomes lame and Sonic uh, released a series of uh, really bad games. There was a well, lot of Well, that, missteps. I think, is the real big difference because, you know, if you look at the treatment Mario's gotten over all these many years, and yes, Mario also had a, you know, had a film that was a shit show. Um, they definitely should have uh, probably, if only we had Twitter back <laughs> when that Mario movie was coming out, I think a lot of people would have been like, hey, all of this is wrong? Can you maybe change everything about what we're seeing in this in this trailer for the new Mario Brothers movie? But um, you know, just replacing Dennis that, Hopper with like a bad silicon graphics like cubebook right. Bowser. <laughs> Besides that, though, so- you know, Nintendo has what Sonic don't uh, with Mario in the sense of just a, a lot of really good games that has withstood the test of time, that has, you know, been the marker of, like, every new console for uh, Nintendo, all the way up through the Switch with Mario Odyssey, right? You know, Mario 64. And Sonic's had some good outings. I'm not going to take away from it. But, you know, if you were to ask me, like, the best Sonic game of recent years, even dating all the way back through the Dreamcast, I would say... Sonic Mania. Yeah. And Sonic Mania was a throwback to what those first three games were, four if you want to count Sonic and Knuckles, okay. uh, the, uh, this complete, like, remember how fun Sonic was to play on the Sega Genesis before they went 3D with it, before they made all these different choices that just never quite clicked the way those initial outings did. And fans fucking loved it. Oh, also, by the way, a fun fact about Sonic Mania, it was made by two, like, super fans that were so passionate about those old games that they started making their own, and Sega was so impressed with it that they ended up bringing them on. So, like, where Nintendo has succeeded with Mario as their flagship with video games um, coming out to mark each new console, Sega's had, like, the opposite, right? Mm. Like, the Saturn, the Dreamcast, those are failed consoles, uh, or seen as failed consoles. I liked Sonic Adventures, but it still didn't translate as uh, in, in a, the special way that Mario 64 translated, right? I mean, Mario 64 was a near-transcendent magical experience. Sonic Adventure was uh, running into a wall while a very nicely rendered orca blew up a bridge behind you, and then that you died cat, randomly. Fat cat ruled, Big the cat. <laughs> it's not named Fat Cat. I still don't understand why you refuse to acknowledge Big the Cat's I, all, real name. I refer to Big the Cat only as that fat cat, but regardless. Uh, uh, yeah, so so it's kind of an interesting thing to now have. And yes, there is a Mario movie in the works with like a really big cast. And I wonder if this first Sonic movie inspired them to push forward with that now that it's been long enough since that disastrous Super Mario movie came out. It had to have. It had, I mean, literally Chris Pratt, as we'll mention, was early in the talks to be in right. the Sonic movie. To be the sheriff. So yeah. it's really fascinating to now see, I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog the movie 
is arguably the best video game movie ever made. Oh my god! I think you could actually like vid- like licensed video game movie. Think about it. I you know shit. shit. I mean, some people are like all about that Mortal Kombat life nostalgically. I agree. I, it was like a it was a when that Mortal Kombat like when that went off in the theater. It was but a they made moment a for me Mortal Kombat movie. They made a new Mortal Kombat movie around the same time as the Sonic and movie. It was fine. It was. Oh, it was a generous okay. It was a generous okay. I'll totally go with you on that. I uh, I stared at it. But this movie, <laughs> this movie's got something special. And for more re- reasons than what, you've got Jim Carrey return to form of, it's kind of amazing, like, they brought back Sonic, and I don't know if they foresaw how brilliant this was, but they also brought the Jim Carrey back that we knew and loved from the Exact era same era. It's, there's a reason <laughs> like, why they picked Gangster's Paradise in that first yeah, uh, for sure. terrible trailer. That was a misstep, but but yeah, they they like they they reminded the gener- the old generation, the adults who now have kids, a lot of them of of this you know long forgotten time when Sonic ruled the school, while also making like a really really good kids movie. I mean, I you know I my daughter's not old enough to be super hype about movies yet, which I'm so excited to get to that point. But from everything I've heard, this movie is awesome with the uh, with the child audience, right? Yeah, this with the kiddos and. So I'm hearing a lot of especially like gamery parents who look fondly back on those early Sonic games um, are like, oh, hell yeah. You know, there's always like, like, well, you're going to be obsessed with a movie. At least it's Sonic the movie because Jim Carrey is hilarious in it. It's like they kind of handled the property in a good in a way that is respectable and, you know, brings me back to that time. There's just enough little nuggets in there, the little rings and the, you know. Oh, there's tons of references. That opening shot. That Honestly, dude, I was like, oh, cool. We're going to sit down and watch the Sonic movie, which we did for our Sunday study session, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, $50 a month. Join us on Sundays. We watch the movie together. And that opening shot of like the Green Hill Zone, essentially, and when he runs across that one patch that like crumbles, mm-hmm. In the exact way it did in the first level of the game, and he goes through the loop de loop. I got hype, man. Yeah. I was like all about that shit. It was awesome, and and uh, yeah. So so I just think this is such a triumph. And then you add in the whole crazy controversy slash again massive success of this fan backlash leading to a huge overhaul to the film and making it go from like the most like fuck this movie fan reaction to Sonic is here to stay motherfuckers Sonic is safe uh, fan reaction yeah is like really exciting and amazing and ta- and thank god too because you know what talk about a fandom that's had to go through some <laughs> rough patches the Sonic fandom I think is in a weird way stronger than any sort of Mario fandom. Oh, yeah. It's so much more dedicated because of that. Kind of like when you see a team like the Red Sox, right? (laughs) Or something like that, that that went through a long drought of losing, losing, losing. They have a more quality, dedicated fan base. So when they do have that win, it's way more exciting than like, I don't know, the Patriots or something in football, right? Like the always. I've talked about this in our first episode and I still genuinely believe this, but there's something about the uh, Sonic as 
expressing rebellion and self-determination in the guise of a kid-friendly, familiar uh, cartoon form. The expressive eyes, the always like intense melodramatic uh, emotions that go into a lot of the fan works and even uh, adaptations of Sonic. Uh, there's, if you are kissed by the gods in a special way, Sonic can be your life. Sure, uh, your sexuality is starts getting expressed through Sonic. Your your trauma gets expressed through Sonic. There's just something about this character and his world that really, for a very select group of people is so intense and so obsessive that I find it fascinating. And the fact that they managed to do something that pleased that intense niche of people and the greater audience as well is not is a true triumph. And as we get into the history, there were some really weird-ass steps that got us uh, to that point because yeah, just the, the movies that, we could have had exactly would have been... It's a blessing in a weird way that the movie was delayed for so long because it kind of got us out of the weeds of it just being another Super Mario Bros. Mm-hmm. movie, right, from that time, from back in the day, right? It kind of like... It's like they held off just long enough to get to the point where they could make an actually, like, smart, fun, well-written, well-acted, well-directed film that was taken just more seriously. And and that the fan base is actually seems to really be respected by the creative team behind this film, even though it's, yeah, sure, it's Sonic the Hedgehog. It's so silly, and totally, I get it. But it, it's like, but that fan base is so cool and so dedicated, and, you know, uh, you know, and then also... It just being a really good kids movie is just bringing this whole new generation of of kids into the into the fandom. It, it's exciting to see uh, because honestly, if you were to tell me ten years ago Sonic's Sonic's going to be dead forever in like a couple years, I absolutely would have believed you. I mean, it mm-hmm. just seemed to it, it just almost seemed laughable. A zombie how much franchise, better, if there ever was. Yeah, it, seemed, it just seemed laughable how much better Nintendo was doing with Mario than than Sega was doing with Sonic. But one ace in the po- hole, you totally nailed. By the way, one little one little thing they have that Nintendo don't is a main character that actually can resemble a ch- uh, the the thinking and energy and life of a child. Whereas like Mario's always just going to be this. Old, older Italian guy, plumber. With a he's mustache. canonically twenty five, Holden. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> and he's and he's funny and he's he's quirky and stuff. But but he'll he'll never be able to be like I'm just like you, you ten year old, you, you know, eight year old, ten year old. You know what I mean? Like whatever, however old it is. I I, I don't know my ages very well. Are you you six year old? You know what I mean? Hey, look at me, huh? This Italian plumber. He's really like so childlike. So. Uh, yeah, it just is perfect. It's weird. It's something that ended up being perfect fodder for just a banger AAA blockbuster kids franchise that is now, you know, at the time of the release of this, also, we're just building hype for the sequel, which is, uh, you know, I'm now genuinely excited for. <laughs> I'm really excited for I'm it. I'm so happy they're doing the, I, I love what they're doing with so yeah, let's get into the gush of it a little bit because all I will say is like one of my earliest fondest gaming memories was going to Toys R Us on release day 
and picking up my pre-order of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. There was so much hype. I had not too long ago gotten my Sega Genesis. I super, super loved the first Sonic the Hedgehog, and I took home Sonic 2. I love the cover art that they've now used for the poster for the sequel of Robotnik's big head (laughs) over, you know, holding up the two with the Sonic and Tails. I was so excited to meet this Tails that was now a part of the games that he wasn't in the first one, had to have this sidekick character that was maybe also playable. Everything, just a whole new and a whole new set of levels because I had at this point beaten the first Sonic game a bagillion times and uh, I took that game home and had a fucking blast with it and absolutely loved the release of that that game and uh, you know totally super enjoyed Sonic Three, super enjoyed Sonic and Knuckles, and it was very fun to get to stack other games into the Sonic and Knuckles cartridge. Yada yada yada. I was a Sega kid. I have big love and fondness for this property and especially those early games. Um, when my buddy got a Dreamcast, I played the shit out of Sonic Adventure actually, and did actually really enjoy that game as well. But still. And what I love about this movie is, and the the sequel as well, is really the focal point for them is very clearly those early games Mm -hmm. that I loved so much as a kid. And there's been a ton of other Sonic games since then, but I do love, and you especially catch that in, not just um, what they're including, especially in the sequel with Tails and the giant Robotnik uh, mecha uh, that you fight at the end of Sonic 2. Like, I'm so excited that that's in there. But, uh, but, well, fuck, I, almost, I lost my train of thought. Sonic good movie make me feel like when I was at the most Sonic good. Yeah, there you go. Jake summed it up. There we go. Anyways. <laughs> so anyways, it's just it's really cool uh, that they're they're focusing on those early, really fun games and and miraculously building a whole world of lore around those things that, uh, as we'll see it, when we go over everything that we've learned uh, from this special shout outs to Sean, uh, our researcher who has a Sonic podcast, Sonic Podcast Adventures. Uh, it's a fantastic thing. Check it out for more crazier deep dives into the whole franchise and everything like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of amazing, like how um, the history of this whole thing and how J- Sega in Japan purposely kept America in the dark in terms of the lore of Sonic, and oh, therefore yeah. forced America to create their own backstory for oh, this. Character. Okay, so that's what I want to gush about is that um, the history of this movie dates all the way back to the Sonic cartoons of the '90s. And even though I didn't own a Genesis, I had friends. I would, you know, I would play as Tails and like. Uh, I was like enamored with these Sonic games and then Sonic Spinball came out and I was like, oh, maybe there's some bullshit going on in the background. I had no idea of Tom Kalinske. I had no idea the, the spats between Yuji Naka and Sega Technical Institute. I had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. I was just like, huh, it's weird. It's like there's two distinct companies both in control of this thing and they do drastically different things with this character. But I uh, read the Archie comics back in the day. I watched both cartoons, including the uh, eco-terrorist freedom fighter one where like characters were routinely traumatized and the wacky uh, Roadrunner one. Still both voiced by Urkel. That's weird. It's weird that they were both both voiced by Urkel. Um, But that lore has like been such a weird festering uh, fungus in elder millennial minds like. 
there's something about that void, that miscommunication between Sega of Japan and Sega of America, where all of these weirdos got to just imprint uh, these insane stories onto this character, where really all he does is run to the right and boop robots. And somehow you get to like the Echidna Wars and Sally Acorn and like Ivo Kintabor and all this bullshit born out of this one like weird void of uh, of, a, of a personality. And so the idea of this movie kind of just really throwing that aside and actually casting off a lot of the baggage of the previous Sonic iterations. There's like, no uh, Sonic X references. There's no Sonic CD references. There's no Sonic Boom references. There's no uh, Snively. There's no nothing from all of the thousands and thousands of pages of Sonic lore. And yet the movie still manages to keep you uh, engaged with as a fan because out of nowhere, a character will hold up a crude drawing of Sonic and it's Sonic the stupid meme from when I was in college. Like there's all of like, it's clear that the experience of being a Sonic fan is like what is truly uniting everybody and has always been there. Even when the series itself and the canon has completely gone off the rails. And so like this, you know, the version of Sonic in the movie as voiced by and performed, you know, thanks to magic computer face dots, uh, that Ben Schwartz does is really endearing and still like keeps the heart of the character there. Um, Jim Carrey's Robotnik is like this whole commentary on like Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, uh, you know, Silicon Valley uh, sociopaths. And he does it like really well and really funny. There's just so much new here and yet it still feels like a classic sonic story which i find fascinating you're so used to people especially taking something like a sonic movie and just being like so whatever about it and just to watch everybody really seem to give a big shit about the quality of the film you know from the the writers and director all the way down to you know and to to chris far or jim carrey rather and you know it's just it's cool it's it's great i just love it i love that it's such a smash hit I love that it came out right before pandemic hit, so it became like the hugest movie of the year. Like it's just it's it's hey, I, I'm I'm happy for, I'm happy for my little blue boy. All right, and I'm not talking about my balls. All right, hey. let's get into this. Say so, yeah, you go. You're gonna hear some real funny humor of that nature as well in this podcast. If you're I mean, Sonic does time. turn into a ball. It's it, it works. True. It works on exactly <laughs> two levels. Sonic the Hedgehog 2020 live action adventure comedy film directed by Jeff Fowler, written by Pat Casey and Josh Miller. As mentioned before, it stars Ben Schwartz, who voices Sonic, along with James Marsden, Tika Sumter, and Jim Carrey, who plays Dr. Robotnik, a.k.a. Eggman. Mm. And thank God, if no one had referred to him as Eggman, by the way, at some point in the movie, I would have rioted. Also... I will also mention the travesty that is Henry Zabrowski not being cast mm. as Eggman. At least we did get this amazing performance from Jim Carrey. But I just want to I want to shout him out because I know a lot of you listening are are uh, would be furious with me for not at least uh, mentioning that uh, H- Henry both looks, talks, acts, <laughs> in every way is 
Robotnik, a.k.a. the Eggman. It was weird the last time I saw him. He just kept muttering about emeralds. And I was like, yeah, That's, yeah. I, I didn't know this about you, bro. And he handed me this like um, drill machine and I punched it and a little bird popped out <laughs> of it. And uh, so he really is the real deal. He's Robotnik. He's like, wow, right. you must really like Sonic. And he's like, what's Sonic? <laughs> so let's talk about the weird Rocky Road uh, that... Uh, this franchise went down before we got to Sonic. Cast your movie. mind back to the 1990s. Uh, music has guitars in it still. Black hole sun, <laughs> don't you come, wash away the rain. Everyone's wearing flannel shirts mm-hmm. and it sucks outside all the time. The president is a it's Democrat. Real- he kind of sucks. It's all. It's- He's playing the saxophone, yeah. banging all the interns it's a whole shit show uh and uh yeah um uh way back way back then sonic had this bit of identity crisis uh in the states because i i I also briefly mentioned this sega of america and sega of japan they were sort of adversarial uh as we mentioned nintendo does what uh or sega does what nintendo don't it was this very aggressive ad campaign led by sega of america and it was doing really well in ways that sega of japan just weren't able to crack uh in terms of marketing and things like that well, it's it's a fun it's like this was a fundamental we talked about this in our first sonic episode uh this was a game changer literally everything you think of about how games are marketed uh, the gamer persona, everything about the extreme edge, angry, angry Kirby face, as yeah. mentioned on the Kirby episode, that only American box art got, but none of the Japanese box art got. Because Tom Kalinske and Sega of America went for the fucking jugular in a way that previously had never been attempted in video game marketing, and like it created this idea that like Nintendo is for babies. Sega is for cool grownups, even if though they were targeting. Which still remains true. They yeah, were targeting. They were still targeting for- kids, but they understood that kids want to be cool grownups. Yeah. Do you want to play an electric guitar and smoke doobies by the you know dumpster after school, or do you want to be like a nerdy Nintendo boy that just sort that just carries too many books in his hands and drops them constantly? I mean, it's up to you, kids. So even though the Mega Drive, uh, as it's known everywhere in the Mega world, drive. wasn't that big of a success in Japan, the Genesis in America with these insanely aggro ads at its back was a phenomenon. It was outselling Nintendo left and right. Sonic was everywhere. He was selling merch. He was selling games. This was a complete and total paradigm shift. And all of this was based out of the Sega of America offices, while Sega of Japan kind of had their pants down. And so it was like this weird thing where Sega of Japan was the parent company, but Sega of America was the people actually making all the money. And that conflict and that like... uh, that power struggle really just caused a lot of issues with the franchise. Well, it's also the the aggression and the attitude was completely uh, counter to the sensibilities of Japanese culture as well. So not only are they resenting them because like they're more successful, but they're also like fuck these assholes. Yeah, like uh, you know we're like a humble, kind you know be kind to your neighbor. Don't you know? Uh, no Sonic uh, decals taking a piss on Nintendo's, please. So this leads uh, to Sega of America creating their own Sonic Bible because Sega of Japan is just not. 
is purposely like holding back from them in these certain kinds of ways. And uh, this Bible is a legendary, legendary document that created a lot of backstory for the character in the U.S. and has bled into early adaptations of other media like comics and TV and meant that Sonic was also generally this open season property when it came to building lore, I guess we'll use that word, yeah. uh, building, backstory building, uh, you know, a whole world around that was sort of like, well, they're not going to tell us what it is, so we're just going to start, like, adding all these layers to it. And Tom Kalinske then comes along, the dude responsible for the He-Man toys and cartoon marketing crossover. Uh, we talk about how <laughs> Reagan came in uh, to politics and made it possible for cross-marketing to happen to children via cartoons and things like that. That was against the law for a while. And so this guy, he sets his sights on Sonic and the adaptation to a cartoon series as a way to market the property even further. So Kalinsky has a deal with uh, Deke Cartoons uh, for two shows. Those were Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, a comedy series with Sonic in a roadrunner type role like Looney Tunes style, and Sonic the Hedgehog, a darker series with an overarching storyline that had Sonic and crew in the role of these as these like freedom fighters. And uh, these are both coming out in the 90s and just kind of building what the American... Uh, fan base mm-hmm. thinks of as their Sonic the Hedgehog, right? It's it's filling in a ton of gaps. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So uh, Sonic uh, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog is the comedy series, like you said. That's the one where uh, Robotnik sounds like this and oh, I hate the blasted hedgehog. Um, and he like calls him like funny. Fr- he's like, later, slow-mos, which sounds bad, but he's saying like you're slow, like you're slow. <laughs> and Sonic the Hedgehog, the adventure series or Sat AM uh, is what they usually uh, refer to it as. Uh, aired on Saturday mornings and had a much more serialized, serious stories. Sonic like is, you know, has like family members that are captured and turned into robots. He's a member of like a terrorist cell trying to like overthrow Robotnik, who has taken over and mechanized this forest kingdom. And for some reason, uh, the uh, voice actor, I believe Gary Chalk, uh, sounds terrifying because in that series, Robotnik sounds like this and he is ready to get that hedgehog and destroy everything he's ever loved. (laughs) Uh, So it was really intense. It was really, really intense. And while this is going on, uh, Michelaine Risley, 
I definitely said that right, was hired by Sega of America to develop the first attempt at a Sonic movie. This ends up being Sonic the Hedgehog Wonders of the World, which was about a 12-year-old kid that uses his Sega Saturn. It was a whole marketing thing. This is kind of very like, if you remember the movie The Wizard, very similar to that. They just wanted like a, a movie that would essentially be a marketing push for the Sega Saturn. He uses his Sega Saturn and accidentally brings Sonic and Eggman into the real world. However, Sega insisted on them using the development Developer's origin in the film. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This was the idea that a dead pilot's wife wrote mm-hmm. children's books based on based on the pilot, but turned her dead husband into this like cartoon hedgehog for the stories uh, because he had a hedgehog emblems on his jacket and he like resembled a hedgehog that was like his pilot persona essentially. And this all led to a standstill creatively because they were like, we can't add that weird as fuck sad bizarre layer to our movie so what are we gonna do here reading the plot synopsis it's like all right number one there's a kid named josh he's the child of divorce and he has to write a school project about a dead fighter pilot who died in an accident while going through the sound barrier and so he reaches for his dad's experimental hologram computer to help him write it. Unfortunately, he couldn't do it, so he plugs in his Sega Saturn and his brand new copy of Sonic Extreme and Sonic from the game, who is uh, actually related to the fighter pilot in the video game universe and also this universe, but not really. It's very hard to explain. Comes to life. And also Robotnik comes to life. <laughs> By the way, Sonic Extreme, uh, another victim of the uh, disconnect between Sega of Japan and Sega of America. Uh, Yuji Naka, famously uh, the the head programmer and producer of the game, uh, had moved on from the Sonic series and was in deep on Nights into Dreams at this point for Mm, the Saturn. Yes, 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 for the Saturn. Leaving the Sega Technical Institute, the American development wing, to create this uh, new 3D uh, Sonic game for the hot new Sega Saturn. Unfortunately... Sega of Japan uh, didn't give them any development kits, so they kind of made a game uh, that could not run on the system that they developed it for. They had to keep going back and back to try and remake it. Uh, There's like a million different builds of it that have leaked over the years. Uh, The team worked themselves to death. It was like all relative newbies because like all the old talent had left by that point. And it was a giant shit show. And on top of everything else, they had a deadline to get this game done by the time this Wonders of the World movie came out, and it all crashed and burned. Yeah, Sega really kind of played themselves uh, in the 90s, it seems, and early 2000s. They really did. It's crazy. So then the next big attempt was an animated film based on the canceled Deke Sonic cartoon led by a guy named Ben Hurst. However, the guy in charge of the Archie comics named Ken Penders, everybody's... By the way, the the thanks Obama in uh, the Sega Sonic (laughs) fandom... Thanks, Ken Penders. He's the guy that people want to blame, I think, for essentially keeping Sonic out of the movie theaters for uh, two decades. Uh, So Ken Penders, this guy finds out about Ben Hurst's deal He's working out in his his you know plan to make a movie and essentially meddles and gets it shut down. Now, whether he purposely meant to get it shut down or whether it just got shut down because he wanted to get involved and there was a back and forth. Apparently, Ben Hurst tried to get him involved in. So no, this is all right. Project. So this is this is key. Ken Penders is a guy who um, made his bones uh, in the Archie series and specifically. 
uh, he like went off the rails when it came for time for him to uh, make the Knuckles side series. And this is some of the most legendarily horrific art, some of the weirdest original characters, uh, insane like generation spanning cosmic war, all in all involving Knuckles the fucking echidna. <laughs> uh, his stories are... Uh, he kills off popular characters all the time. He then, like, uh, his stories are kind of horny. He did, like, a weird uh, series where, like, all the Mobius Saturday morning cartoon characters and his original characters, like, meet up 25 years in the future and have a slumber party. Like, when you think of weird Sonic stuff, Ken Penders is, like, a huge uh, kind of uh, almost... Uh, just a prototype for the kind of things that people given control of this property just go insane with them because it is a blank slate and you can just like do whatever the fuck you want with it. But it just so happens that it's a bunch of pantsless forest critters. Um, insanely protective of his contributions. He's uh, done multiple lawsuits over the years. Uh, it's like just been a real thorn in the side of the property. Uh, and just, just it honestly feels like outsider art if you look at some of his artwork. Like everything is like at once uh, weirdly detailed, but the anatomy is off. Like it's just I, I dare say his shit's kind of disturbing. Uh, but he did have a friend inside Sega of America that worked with him and was kind of his man on the inside. So he had the ear of a lot of executives. Um, so when he got wind of this Hearst treatment for a third season of the uh, Saturday morning cartoon as a movie release. He immediately was like, no, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I'm Sonic guy. I make the Sonic. And um, where, oh, the, the actual quote is like horrifying where Hearst uh, calls back the same executive at Sega that he was initially pitching to. And she was like, you want us to pay to make Sonic stories? Like, we make the Sonic stories. I heard about your little tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was clear that Penders had, like, gone behind his back and, like, sabotaged. So then Penders tries to get two of his own films off the ground in the 2000s, Sonic Armageddon and an untitled Knuckles movie. Both are eventually shut down for reasons not specifically known. Either way, this all delays the Sonic film project. I mean, the reason is there, uh, by this time, Sonic X already came out and there would be right. zero reason for Sega to be like, Hey kids, are you enjoying this fun anime series airing on Fox? Well, here's Snively and Eggman on planet Mobius. <laughs> There's several, uh, kind of, uh, uh, things that Penders produced, including concept art and a homemade, uh, elevator pitch trailer video, which, all of them look absolutely bonkers. You can track them down. Uh, but like he literally like used Windows Movie Maker and enlisted <laughs> his own kids to narrate uh, his movie pitches. The concept art for Sonic Armageddon that Ken Penders wrote has like forest critters being horrifically tortured. The planet uh, Mobius exploding as Sonic and Sally look on in tears crying. <laughs> Julie Sue and all the weird echidna people all stopping by. It's fucking nuts. It is. Yeah, yeah. It truly is like the stuff of nightmares. And so that is why we just get nothing in terms of uh, Sonic film stuff until cut to 2013. Sony acquires the rights to a Sonic film. 
2014, it is announced that producer of the Fast and the Furious franchise, Neil Moritz, was set to produce. This would be a live-action, computer-animated hybrid film with uh, writers from the UCB, Evan Susser, and uh, Van Robichaux hired to write the screenplay. The film is planned for a 2018 release. Cut to 2016. Tim Miller and our director, Jeff Fowler, join the project. The two had previously made Gopher Broke, a 2004 Oscar-nominated animation short film which Fowler wrote and directed and Miller produced on. But, have it be known, haven't done a ton of stuff. The, the little stuff they've done d- did well, but still, pretty early. Miller also did direct that first Deadpool movie. And this had its own pre-production drama, so kind of funny. This person, no stranger to crazy bullshit being required before they can get a movie out the door. In this case, Deadpool test footage had to be leaked onto the internet. Uh, there had to be all this. And again, it was uh, a lot of... The internet and the you know the powers that be of fans pushing something to get made, and that's what happened with Deadpool. After that footage leaked, there was so much hype around it that eventually uh, the execs essentially couldn't say no. They they ended up uh, put you know making that movie, and uh, so he signs on as executive producer for Sonic. Uh, well, this Tim Miller guy. So Tim Miller and Jeff Fowler uh, are you know even though they had very little film credits at this time. They were key uh, talents at Blur Studios, which is maybe the top tier CGI cutscene uh, production studios in all of video games. And it's uh, there, like uh, the the Deadpool footage that was leaked was all animated by Blur Studios with just, uh, you know, there wasn't any real bits in that thing. Uh, they did the Halo uh, Collector's Edition or whatever that remaster was. Like, their resume is insane. And they were, oddly enough, also uh, worked, they worked on the cutscenes for what many argue is Sonic's true, honest, in a, in, a, in a land full of valleys and low points, the deepest Marianas Trench low point of Sonic history, Sonic 06 and yes. Shadow the Hedgehog both have yes. their names on it because they contributed to cutscenes, including uh, famously the one where Shadow the Hedgehog cocks an M16 like it was a shotgun for some reason. <laughs> and the Sonic 06 scene where he kisses a human girl. Kisses a human woman. And even <laughs> so, favorite. it's so funny to me that they got this, uh, even though they were, they took part in the almost death of this franchise. But it gave them a innate sense on how to animate Sonic in 3D space. Like watching the clips of the Shadow the Hedgehog cutscenes, uh, I was kind of shocked that, like, yes, the cringy music, yes, the Edgelord stuff, yes, uh, the insane thing where the president is like, you've got to kill the black aliens <laughs> is like insane. But watching Shadow move around, like, they're really well choreographed. They have like a nice sense of capturing a a hedgehog in motion and zipping around. It's like thrilling. They're very good at this very specific task. So at this point in the design timeline, there is an early piece of concept art uh, that showed Sonic on a cop car with uh, essentially a guy who looks exactly like Chris Pratt uh, cast in the sheriff role. Sonic does have a slightly more realistic wor- look, but it's not as bad as it will get in that infamous first trailer that we're approaching. Still interesting to see that um, they they were definitely going for the realism, but it wasn't it wasn't as all the way, and that 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 leads us to believe that 
Paramount, when they eventually take hold of things, uh, their executive push was to make him even more realistic looking. Before we get there, though, the UCB writers exit around this time. They bring in the credited writers on the project, Patrick Casey and Josh Miller. Josh Miller said, we actually got hired at the exact same time, and this was his, Patrick Casey's, first movie. In some ways, they were also taking a chance on him. I think that put us all on the same boat bonding-wise. The funny thing is they hired us, but not for our initial pitch for the story. So we kind of all sat in a room together, usually just us and Jeff. Then Toby Asher, who was working on several movies at once, would come over to the offices like once every three days, and we just spent several weeks hashing out the story. Patrick Casey said, somehow we were able to talk our way into it. Toby, Jeff Fowler, Tim Miller, and Neil Moritz uh, decided to take a chance on us, which we are grateful for. We wanted to do everything we could to maximize on the opportunity and then make it a good movie. So the uh, but uh, unfortunately they really were point, unproven because like I was shocked yeah, looking at their uh, history and like the only real thing they got produced was a uh, a cartoon for uh, Fox ADHD, which Holden, if you remember in the two thousands. They, they, it was just Fox was just giving away uh, animated series at that point. Yeah, they produced and wrote Golan the Insatiable, which I have no memory of, <laughs> but it apparently aired opposite uh, the Lucas Brothers Moving Company. So, like, I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's very, very weird. So, at this point, the film is put into the dreaded turnaround, and the team has got to shop this thing around to a new studio in order to get it made. This is when they bring in Ben Schwartz to voice Sonic for some test footage so that they can try to sell the thing. And, uh, of course, it's going to lead to him voicing Sonic in the final product, which is a really cool move on their part. Because usually the person they get in for the test footage is not cast in the in the uh, actual film. Then in October 2017, Paramount Pictures announces it had bought the rights to the film and adds Toby Asher as producer with Dimitri Johnson and Dan Jevons as co-producers and pre-production is able to get underway. So the script writers get the script in and their initial concept is a road trip movie since that aligns with this idea of a speed character. Josh Miller said, We lost track of the character as we get older. It expanded into all these different TV shows, comics, and newer games. So we were kind of coming at it from what we felt was the character in those very early games. A thing I personally love. Uh, that didn't even have much of a story. Um, I just have a weird factoid. Uh, Josh Miller... Uh, has his own podcast where he interviews other screenwriters about like unproduced films that they worked on. It's called The Best Movies Never Made. And uh, on an episode, he revealed that him and Casey, actually their pitch was involved Sonic as an intergalactic gem thief that was <laughs> hiding from the space cops after he stole a Chaos Emerald and was trying to hide his criminal past from his new so Earth friends. I mean, it could have been that. That's the thing about Sonic. It sort of could be whatever, you yeah. know? Well, my, my favorite thing is they drew a lot of inspiration from his idol animation in those early games. Miller said, a big factor we found was the idea that if you put your controller down and weren't playing the game for too long, the character on screen would actually get impatient with you and start looking at his watch and tap his foot we were like what type of character does that imply and how do you translate that kind of fun attitude patrick casey said yeah we were really trying to extrapolate based on those little bits of animation and what little story there was in the original games mostly just build a movie out of the feelings it gave us when we were 12 playing the game and trying to adapt that the feeling more than the story if that makes any sense and it totally does for me it is sort of this 
uh, yeah, and, and and it's also like them tapping into what it was like when they were kids, and I think remembering that almost more than the game itself, like remembering what it was to be that that little kid playing a Sega Genesis for the mm-hmm. first time. So in terms of design, it seems this is around the time the corporate oversight gets involved with Sonic's look, and the shift uh, goes away from the traditional Sonic look uh, at, at around this point. There's even a since-deleted tweet from VFX artist Stu Witten after all the controversy that read, quote, pretty much just went back to our original design, lol. And that ended up getting deleted, which is the clearest indicator that this was an executive decision to keep pushing Sonic away from his traditional look. So the best uh, the best proof that we have of this is a... Um interview on a Sonic fan page in Argentina where supposedly an animator who worked on the project, I don't know supposedly, it's an interview with a guy who is an animator on the project, revealed that uh, around this same time, Paramount had actually found success with the uh, crazy redesigns on a Transformers movie. And we all remember the backlash that the Michael Bay Transformers had only for it to be one of the most profitable franchises of the 2010s. Uh, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, adaptation, which also had controversial, more grounded designs. And so it's very, so he claims that Paramount went ahead and was like, it worked uh, the other two times, it'll work this time, and it'll get people talking, make this hedgehog muscly and give him teeth and make his shoes weird. Make him gross. (laughs) And, uh, ugh, ugh. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, also, though, you do have Miller quoted to say, that was always stage one of adapting it to what the real world is and what a real animal would be like. It would be weird, and it would feel like he was running around nude if he was some sort of otter-like thing. It was always, for us, fur, and we never considered anything different. It's part of what integrates him into the real world and makes him a real creature. Uh, he's not going to feel like a Pixar character would because I don't think that's the right aesthetic to make it feel like part of our world. And that kind of very generous and diplomatic response is why he gets to direct the next movie and not be a Josh Trank and uh, be cast into the ocean. So before we get into all the hullabaloo uh, with the uh, controversial trailer, let's meet our cast a little bit more. Ben Schwartz voices Sonic. Ben is the most is most known as Jean-Ralphio uh, Saperstein on the NBC sitcom Parks and Recreation. He's also done a solid amount of VO work, weirdly always doing blue characters like Dewey on DuckTales and Leonardo in Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They just keep casting him as characters that wear blue or in in our case of this movie, are blue. He also had a role in Turbo, the uh, snail uh, racing franchise. (laughs) That snail was also blue. (laughs) Yeah, it's very weird. He has a strong background in improv and even gave the test footage a boost with some of his off-the-cuff moments. Another reason why they liked him so much that they hired him for the actual gig. He also loved the Genesis games as a kid and went back to them to get a feel for the character as well. He said, I played the video games again, the first two, and I was like, okay, I love the idea of the speed, and I love the idea of the attitude. Then when I read the script, I was like, you know what he is? He's like a little kid that so badly wants to get out into the world and just do everything. He's so excited. So it's like, if I could play this guy like he's an excited little kid, I feel like kids would relate more and adults would relate more. So I kind of try and do it that where the performance never feels too big or broad and crazy. It always feels like it's coming from an excited little youth. And I do think that is the secret to the Sonic sauce for sure in terms of that performance. Absolutely. And how it comes off. 
Uh, James Martin plays Tom Wachowski, Sonic's human counterpart. He did a bunch of TV through the 90s and grew to popularity as Cyclops in the X-Men. However, it was Popularity like is not the word I would use, but... Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, well, put him on the map, I yeah. guess. People knew his name. Uh, and it was stuff like his prince role in Enchanted. He does a great job in that movie that broke him into comedy as well. He is he's amazing in 27 actor. Dresses. Yeah, yeah, He yeah. is fucking fantastic in that movie. Yeah, he's like, and he's really a solid comedy actor, actually, underneath the sort of like leading man mm-hmm. look that he has. Jim Carrey, of course, returns to form as Dr. Robotnik. His daughter actually was a big Sonic fan, and after he got the role, he returned to the games as well. Carrey said, I knew when I got the call to do this movie that Sonic was a game. I think I had played it once or twice, and after I got the call, I started playing it with my grandson, who humiliated me constantly. These games have turned kids into jet pilots. I mean, they are quick. Their reflexes are awesome. He's nine years old and trash talks me. I get angry. I put money in the swear jar. I'm actually a lot like Robotnik. Um, And so, what what game were they playing? Because there's like they weren't playing Sonic Adventure Two Battle Mode, Mm -hmm. were they? I feel like if I just did a little, the tiniest bit of uh, background research and i think they were like playing sonic all-stars racing or like what what is sonic transform i bet it was sonic all-stars racing if it was competitive is that is a huge hit with kids actually mm. and people don't talk about it enough everyone says mario kart mario kart mario kart but i think actually the, a lot of younger kids prefer sonic all-star racing actually to uh the mario kart franchise you can play as shenmue in that you can be shenmue and drive a little <laughs> forklift around it's great jim carrey had this to say about how he developed the voice for robotnik the voice happened out of the attitude. You, uh, how many people can say attitude in their quote about this movie, by I the way? I mean, Sonic's got an attitude. He's the fastest <laughs> thing alive. He does with Nintendo. You know the love of his own sound and the meticulous details of his mind. So he was born out of an absolute sense of worthlessness coupled with genius. That combination is rife with comedy. The wonderful thing about Robotnik, this is all from Jim Carrey, the wonderful thing about Robotnik is he is analogous to a lot of the insane ego that's uh, running us in all different kinds of realms of life. Kind of what you were talking about with the Musk Mm -hmm. inspiration. The uh, the greed, the avarice, the self-centeredness, the self-dealing, the lack of a conscience that we see in a lot of different realms. Robotnik signifies that. He is a madman with a triple-digit IQ. And like a lot of those good folks, those clever genius types in Silicon Valley, that's not a microchip on his shoulder. That's a quantum database of bitterness. He hates society because he wasn't nurtured. He wasn't loved. And this is what happens to a genius like that when they have no nurturing, no love, no guidance. And that's what he he's become the epitome of that he hates the world because the world abandoned him also he said i see him as someone who wants to be the warden of a mechanized prison that captures the consciousness of the world and sonic is a power that he needs because if you control the power grid you control the world and honestly that quote i think just goes to show how much thought was put in Mm -hmm. to these characters by these people it's a lot of fun too to read uh, quotes from idris elba about (laughs) his upcoming knuckles like the motivation he found i mean the the, they cast great people and they took it pretty seriously also though they had a blast uh marsden had such a fun time working with Jim Carrey. They brought a lot to the table, including their own little additions to the script and improvisation. Marsden said, we would workshop the scenes before we started shooting them, and we would literally write down ideas of where it could go. And 
It's so great to work with artists that come wanting it to be great, come with ideas. Here's what I want, you know? You work with actors sometimes that just go through the motions. It's not inspiring. And he was inspiring, mainly because I grew up watching him just like you, uh, just like you did. And now I'm in scenes with them. So it was super special to like, I actually workshopped the scenes together and find little moments. And there were a couple of moments that I surprised him with so, uh, something that wasn't on the page. And it was just so reciprocal and generous with each other. And again, all these quotes, I feel like just go to show that, you know, the they were talking about uh, uh, the line where uh, Robotnik is like, uh, I was spitting out formulas when you were spitting up formula. <laughs> and uh, Marston just nonchalantly replies, actually, I was breastfed. And Jim Carrey, <laughs> equally nonplus, is like, nice, rub that in my orphaned face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Like, yeah, you like, know that was not on the page. You know that But that, that shit's was... so awesome because any, I feel like so many actors would have just showed up and made their paycheck and totally phoned it in. But you could just tell these guys are like really getting in there and working on it. And it's fucking Sonic the Hedgehog the movie. And it's such a delight to see people take such a on its face goofy kind of thing and give it like real life and energy I, I just think it's so cool and it really you can you feel that you get that when you watch the movie it's just it, that's why I would say it's arguably the best video game movie ever made because of stuff like that because of that sort of input uh, from the actors and everyone else what I find the most fascinating about uh, the acting and everything that was going on in this movie is that like at like by this point in uh in Jim Carrey's career he was kind of like he was kind of a spent entity he kind of like uh you know this was after you know fun with dick and jane or you know he was just like he wasn't the same jim carrey anymore he was making all these weird political posts and making like paintings about george w bush he was like right. doing uh all this charged stuff like it it feels like that andy kaufman movie and his like attempts at trying to be a serious actor kind of just made him something else. But like, it wasn't until this movie that like this was the Jim Carrey we fell in love with. This was the yeah. zany, scene stealing, scenery chewing uh, Jim Carrey at the top of his game that we all kind of uh, imprinted upon as a kid. Agree. And and yet still he has that serious mind. He still has an angle. He still has a vision uh, with his like performance that is yeah. you wouldn't like. It's a lot better than if they had just hired I don't know Josh Gad to be like I'm a totally. crazy scientist. Whoopity doo. Totally. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And uh, yeah, Ben Schwartz uh, really took the words out of my mouth. He said, I mean, when I watched it for the first time, I literally went to, we were all in a small theater with just like three or four people. And I was like, oh my God, because I wasn't on set. So the first time that I saw Jim Carrey stuff was when I was getting uh, getting screened and I was like, 
oh my God, we are so lucky. He just decided this is the movie he's going to do this again in, <laughs> which is like kind of how I thought we were watching it together because that was the first time I actually saw the movie. And I, I kept saying the same thing. I was like, how did they get him to do this for Sonic the movie? Like, how did how did the fuck did they luck out and get this like classic Jim Carrey performance um, for this of all things, you know, it's not Ace Ventura three. It's not, you know, uh, which apparently now this team is working on, which would be amazing. It's not like some big, great return in some, uh, you'd think like uh, carry driven IP. It's him as Dr. Robotnik in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. It's like amazing. It's miraculous. And he didn't it even really have is. to dress up like a fucking weirdo, like in the Grinch. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Totally. I mean, and, uh, it's kind of stylish in this movie. Uh, apparently to get that, like, razor sharp part in his hair they actually had to shave into his scalp that's just a weird piece of trivia i had to learn for this i think it's also been said i believe he's said that like most of the dialogue from the script was not even uh in the movie he did a ton of improvisation he fully improvised that dance scene that's amazing he was the one who recommended the song where evil grows mm. he enjoyed it as a kid um also shout out to tika sumter who plays tom's wife maddie maddie's sister played by natasha rothwell and lee Ma- majub uh, who does a fantastic job playing across Carrie as like a Robotnik's like coworker foil. Speaking of horny Sonic fans, a lot of slash art of uh, him and Carrie just in each other's embrace. Very upset. Pin yourself against the wall. I remember that scene. <laughs> uh, so the budget was set for $7 million and filming took place mostly in Vancouver for about a month, month and a half in September of 2018. They hired a local improv actor named Scott Patey to play opposite Marsden as Sonic, who could roll with anything Marsden threw out off the cuff and just kind of still gave it that loose feel, even though Ben Schwartz wasn't able, wasn't actually like there. Uh, Marsden said, it's so important because you can't just have the script supervisor reading to you in a droning voice. You need someone to have the charisma, charm, and serenity of a 12-year-old kid. And when Ben Schwartz recorded his lines in the booth, he wore those face dots you mentioned, and they used the motion tracking camera for animator reference. He, too, was able to riff the lines a lot, and they used that what they liked from that. The, the music was done, by the way, by Junkie XL, who worked on Mad Max Fury Road and Deadpool, which is probably how he got the job through the Deadpool connection. And there are various pulls from Sonic songs throughout the score uh, that you'll catch as a super fan. There's also the song Speed Me Up, done by Wiz Khalifa, Lil Yachty, <laughs> Sueco the Child, and Ty Dolla Sign. So got to have your uh, got to have your uh, hat is like a shark's fin. You got to mm. have your wild, wild west. You know what I mean? Apparently, so, uh, uh, uh uh, uh, departed uh, uh, rap artist Juice World was also tapped to make a song, and uh, oh, he wasn't able to finish it. Passed away. And there's been a couple of uh, leaked kind of versions of the song, all incomplete, using the same. Oh wow, beat. yeah, that's interesting. All right, so let's get into the messy post-production process. Five VFX studios were brought in to work on the movie: Blur Studio, Moving Picture Company, Marza Animation Planet. Uh, Trickster and Digital Domain. And here's where we get to the hullabaloo. The first, there was a poster revealed in December of 2018. It shows Sonic silhouette, but revealed the realistic fur, human-like physique, and ungloved animal claw hands. Mm-hmm. Folks are immediately skeptical, <laughs> just based off this silhouette single poster. A second poster is put out from the perspective of Sonic, so we just see these thin 
human like athletic runner's legs, mm-hmm. but they're covered in blue fur. He's looking over the Golden Gate Bridge. And again, people are starting to like scratch their heads a little bit. They're just like, this looks odd. I remember at the time feeling that dread being like, uh, <laughs> well, the trailer's not out. We still don't know for sure. We don't know for sure, but ah. How you can get eked out uncanny valley feelings from just a shot of legs. They found a way. I don't understand it, but they found a way. <laughs> So people are a little worried. Then comes this infamous trailer, April 4th, 2019, the day that Sonic died. <laughs> no, uh, they didn't they don't call it that. This is this is when we get the full Sonic design. A human body, human hands, human teeth, human feet, oddly shaped torso with white fur, no gloves, and the small humanish eyes in all of its glory. The internet immediately hates it and what doesn't help i forgot about this what doesn't help is there is also a banger trailer for this new detective pikachu movie Mm -hmm. where they totally like adapted all of the pokemon to this like more uh real world they added the fur the very important fur that was apparently everyone that uh was so important yeah they they yeah they they did you know for that there was a lot of hype about that trailer it's like oh wow i can't believe they like gave it this treatment and they pulled it off and it's really cool. And in contrast, there is just uh, a lot of issue, umbrance taken with this Sonic look. Uh, Several artists end up stepping in and doing their own redesign of the character just to show how much better it could possibly be. Folks didn't just dislike the design. They also disliked how generic the film seemed to be with stuff like the buddy cop approach, uh, Robotnik not looking like the Eggman from the video games that we all know and love. Um, Henry Zabrowski, <laughs> the seemingly arbitrary use of Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio as the background music for the trailer. I mean, rewatch that trailer. It is just not yeah. working. It is just it is just not there. And so this Twitter response is insane. It just becomes this It's every it's blogs, it's Instagram, it's just anybody who even remotely has an opinion about Sonic the Hedgehog raised their voice and said, no, sir, don't like Even it. Sega employees are getting out there, getting upset about it. Just so much of a backlash, it is impossible for Jeff Fowler and team to ignore. Oh, wait, are you talking about, like, actual people that worked on Sonic the Hedgehog 1, like uh, uh, Sato uh, Oshima, who is the original designer of, like, who actually put on paper the first drawing of Sonic the Hedgehog, who won the design contest on the new Sega logo, Uh, He said, Sonic is a fairy of a hedgehog, so he doesn't need to be designed closer to a real hedgehog, even in live action. Mickey doesn't become a mouse in live action, does he? Because they are fairies who can live on when people believe in them. Uh, Yuji Naka, famously, uh, the the guy, the guy, the designer and producer of the games, uh, said from the comments here, it looks like it's very badly received. I wonder if the movie is actually good when you watch it. I see many movies based on anime or games that are unpopular. I wonder why that happens. Very. <laughs> Meanwhile, he went on to like make Balan Wonderworld. So who gives a fuck? Fowler ends up saying, I allowed myself about five to ten minutes of pity and feeling sorry for myself. It was just such an overwhelming response that it was important for me that outreach happened very quickly. So then on May 2nd, 2019, Fowler tweets the following. I remember this too. I I, I remember this like it was yesterday. 
Thank you for the support and the criticism. The message is loud and clear. You aren't happy with the design and you want changes. It's going to happen. Everyone at Paramount and Sega are fully committed to making this character the best he can be. Hashtag Sonic movie. Hashtag gotta fix fast. Mm. Then a, a wrench emoji and a peace sign emoji being like, please, please go easy on us. We're going to work really hard on this. We'll be back in a little bit. Fowler said, I would not wish this experience necessarily on anyone, even though at the end of the day, I really love that we engaged the fan base. They felt heard by our response. Honestly, one of my biggest sources of pride from this whole process was that the fans were able to be involved in this movie. They helped to get us where this needed to be. Producer Tim Miller felt the same way after the response. He said, look, I was with fans and so was Jeff. When the shit hit the fan, I went over there and said, the most important thing to do, man, is say, I fucked up. He'd already sent a tweet out an hour before I got there. He's a good man. It was exactly the right way to handle it. The fans have a voice in this too. There's a right way to listen. A few weeks later, Jeff Fowler tweets out a pic of Sonic's hand, now gloved, very important, holding up a sign with the new movie's release date, February 14, 2020. Also, folks noticed in this illustra- that this illustration looked like the work of a man named Tyson Hesse, whom they hoped had been brought on, and they were correct. They brought in Hesse, this huge name in Sonic fandom. He uh, grew to popularity with his fan parody comic Sonic's Big Fat Adventure. He later animated the Sonic Mania intro, important to note because that was the fan-made game. The man who invented Nipples the Enchilada <laughs> saved Sonic. Let, let that sink in. He directed Sonic Mania Adventure an animated series that people really like uh, that was put out on YouTube in 2018. He ends up getting to go in and work with the modelers, the riggers, the texture and fur artists, the animators, and uh, everyone to help redesign Sonic in the right way. And it had to be a bit of a compromise. Like, it couldn't just go back to the full-on OG classic Sonic design. Like, they had to take what they were working on already and kind of find this happy medium, which I feel like they did. And as that much was, as uh, the design can fit the rig of the old design, the less work and the better they'd be able to fit into the uh, production schedule. Um, in an interview, the Pat Casey, the writer, uh, actually in kind of a post-mortem, was like, yeah, the response was bad, but like the movie was still the movie. And even though the design was like off-putting, he says... Like, When you see Sonic play baseball by himself with tears in his eyes, like even this design, I think audiences would still like root for it. Right, right. And I think that's like kind of true that like, even though the design was so uh, off-putting, the core of the movie was still there. All the things that yeah, we all that liked comedy, about comedy, all that hard, the great yeah. Carrie performance, the great Ben Schwartz performance, the improvisational moments. Yeah, it's all in there. The splashy visuals, t- for sure. Yeah, totally. The weird just, owl man. mom that I still don't understand. <laughs> I, I really understand tried. I like okay, so Sonic's history is full <laughs> of talking animals. There's like in the cartoon. There's the timekeeper owl in uh, the. Sonic the movie anime OAV that came out, uh, which was kind of like the Sega CD opening sequence. It's the one where Knuckles has a cowboy hat. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. There's like a goofy owl character. Some people say that the the long claw is based on just 
the tiles from the labyrinth. I have no idea where the fuck this owl came from, but she is like the second character you meet in the movie. And according to the novelization, she is murdered by, by echidnas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is that, that, uh, that bit is definitely weird. People, uh, Hess, the Hess redemption. Yeah. And uh, so we get this new version of Sonic. Sonic now has gloves, shoes that more closely match the original and more cartoonish body shape and more stylized and expressive mouth and eyes. It's estimated that this redesign and implementation of it into the film cost around $5 million, essentially close to double the budget that they originally had to work with. This actually partly uh, caused the closure of the motion picture company. Okay, this is this has been a little bit uh, overblown. Uh, okay. So the first thing I heard when they were going to change it uh, even like my initial reaction was like awesome. And then immediately I was like, oh my God, those poor VFX artists, you know, they had to work overtime just yeah. to get the movie done the first time you like these, you know, it's one of the most uh, least well-represented, least unionized uh, uh, craftsmen in the entire motion picture industry. Uh, you know, studios will always hunt for the lowest bidder. They do not get, nearly enough of uh, the credit or the finances that these movies bring in. Uh, and these days for blockbusters, they basically make those movies. Um, Motion Picture Company is a massive uh, studio house. Uh, they are owned by Technicolor. It's a French company at this point. And uh, the studio, specifically the Vancouver studio, closed. And that uh, is probably more for the fact that a uh, financial loophole that attracted a lot of effects companies to open offices in Vancouver was closing, and the uh, team that was uh, let go was offered new positions in, I'm assuming, one much more tax-friendly location when they relocate. Maybe it was, I think this company also worked on Cats, which also had a lot ah. of last minute effects work. Like there's just a lot of shit going on in the background. It wasn't specifically Sonic. Right, like that a one killed. to one. Yeah. So a new trailer is released and lo and behold, Twitter, and I remember this moment too, it's it's miraculous. The response is very positive, very, very much. Now there's hype building around this movie. Uh, Jim Carrey said, I had a little bit of my own concerns. And, you know, people jumped right in there and they will not be ignored. And that's the new world, you know? I think it was incredibly helpful. I had my own concerns, and when they kind of matched it, I went, oh, good, that's great. But Carrie also did voice a concern I even felt with all of this happening the way it did. But I don't know. I don't know quite how I feel about the audience being in on the creation of it while it's happening. So we'll have to see what that entails, because sometimes you find that the collective consciousness decides it wants something, and then when it gets it, it goes, okay, I just wanted it. I didn't care about it. I just jumped on the bandwagon or whatever. But I don't know what's going to happen. And I think case in point, the counter to this, it's good when fans get this involved with the Sonic the Hedgehog movie's success that was also Rise of the Skywalker around this time. Mm. And uh, a lot of people point to that film as uh, suffering from a lot, uh, like listening too much to the fans and what, and trying to please everybody mm -hmm. with their approach to that movie. And whether, you know, you believe that or not, I do think it, it serves as a pretty decent example of potentially how that can be an issue. You know, how too many, too many voices on a thing, it can dilute it and, you know, make it not, uh, you know, 
you you know what the artist's intent was, or uh, or make it a um, you know a driven uh, concept with a specific vision. Because now you're just like trying to just give everybody what they want. I, life I, is I complicated, Holden. Like, like yeah, so yeah, life if, is complicated. So in theory, the creators did know uh, in the story that we are telling here. The creators did know what they what they were supposed to be doing. They did have a vision, and it was uh, corporate meddling and people trying to like what outthink what people wanted. Uh, that like resulted in the thing that people didn't like, which is I think by now that we at this point in Hollywood history, the suits are kind of out of touch. It really is yeah, a yeah. lot of you know uh, in the Spider Man story, way, in the yeah. uh, Fantastic Four story, like just time and time again. Uh, the people in charge just do not always understand why people like the things they like. Or respect the people that love the thing. Yeah. You know? I think there's also that lack of respect. It does seem like the Paramount powers that be got involved. You know, the the specifics of that, well, we, we don't know and may never know how much they forced the change to the design that is not completely clear but but it's from our understanding that they meddled and and it ended up with this uh, weird take on the sonic look mm-hmm. right and then the fans came in it was like fans versus execs with the creatives in the middle and the fans came in and they won they 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 were able to have their voices heard and they changed the whole thing because of it you know and it actually ended up making this film a huge success. The Star Wars that's an interesting example is thing. A, I mean that yeah. that's yeah that but that's that's a that's a a twenty twenty story. You know that that only can exist today with social media and the way everybody's able to now um, rally, but also like how loud everyone can get. About I mean, something. it's definitely better than in nineteen thirty seven when that handwritten letter campaign demanded that Betty Boop have less uh, exciting bosoms. That was <laughs> that was that yeah, was yeah. not a good moment in fan reactions. But I do also think Rise of the Skywalker is that it did was negatively affected by. I mean, I also just think Star Wars fans maybe are awful. Yeah. But uh, I mean, who? I mean, I thought Sonic fans were awful. But it's the fact that it wasn't just oh, the Sonic they're, fans. They're like Red Sox fans. They're like, you know, they just. I have more respect for that fan of me as they've had to roll with that <laughs> franchise through some real dark periods. I mean, I guess yeah, okay. We do have the I don't mean morally bad. I think I mean just a general. Uh, they eat oh, me they're out. All sexual, they're all sexual <laughs> deviants. I mean, we should also acknowledge that. They're all hor- horrific perverts. Mm. Uh, all of them, every single one of them. Let me just check Sonic Rule 3rd. <laughs> and my computer exploded. All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm recording. This is the backup recording I have on my phone. It's, and it'll jizz be seamless. is coming out of the vents of my <laughs> PC fans. I'm not really sure how that managed to happen. But uh, uh, I have an AMD graphics card. That, that just, that's just how it works. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, it was a success story. And, you know, this could be something that we reference uh, in the future for some really rough times when it comes to uh, the treatment of things uh, in reaction to, to fans online. I just don't know. But it worked out for Sonic, the, the movie. It did. It, it is un- inarguable. It absolutely helped the film that the fans flipped out and made a huge big stink about it and forced them to completely reimagine or reapproach the design of Sonic and implement it. And it's just it still 
blows me away that it happened mm-hmm. because of the amount of money that that cost, the delay that that caused, everything. But regardless, the film is released in February of 2020. It does great in the box office. Partially this the, due to the timing of the release with the pandemic and everything, it became the third highest grossing film of the year. A huge win for everybody. I mean, think about this team. All of them, almost all of them are like complete noobs yeah. to making movies, much less like big blockbusters. These guys have hit pay dirt. I mean, again, I must stress the director worked on Shadow the Hedgehog. This is a redemption story unlike any we've ever covered on the show before. And with that comes like a huge boon for the Sonic franchise as a whole. A new game has been in the works. It is is being written by Ian Flynn, which is so crazy. Shout out to Ian if you're listening to this. I went to high school with him. Uh, Maybe we'll have to sit down and chat with him at some point. It's so surreal, though, to see that in my research. Amazing stuff. And uh, in May of 2020, a sequel was announced by Paramount with Fowler returning to direct, Miller producing. I mean, everybody's back. The writing team, Pat, Pat Casey and Josh Miller doing the script. We've got Marsden, Carey, Sumter, and Schwartz all announced to return. Uh, Tyson Hess, uh, Hess also returned to help with design and mentioned that the second film will feel even more influenced by the source material than the first. I mean, we already know Tails is going to fly that little red plane of his, so like, I'm in. We've got Tails, we've got the little red plane, we've got the giant uh, Eggman, uh, Robotnik mech. And knock, knock, it's Knuckles. He don't laugh, he don't chuckle. We got big knocks up in this house <laughs> played by none other than Idris Elba which is insane. Why got, would I want your power? And then he just smacks him into the ground and you're like yeah. We've got the more traditional Robotnik look for Jim Carrey. I mean it is just amazing. That trailer looks amazing. We've got the Chaos Emeralds. Dude the I'm Master Emerald. Uh, the Master uh, Emerald. Also as of uh, this recording March 28th uh, producer Toby Asher says that we're getting a Sonic cinematic universe. A third film is already <laughs> confirmed with a Tales solo movie in development as well. Another cool thing for the fans, Tales is voiced by Colleen O'Shaughnessy, who briefly voiced the character in the first film and that post-credits. Uh, she currently does Tales in the video game. So fans were super pleased with this. They noticed that that was the voice from that t- tag with the film. And then everyone was so pleased that she was cast full on in the second movie as opposed to being replaced by some celebrity voice actor. It Jim was just, Parsons as Tails. <laughs> exactly. It's just really cool. I feel like they li- they're really in touch with like with the Phantom and are trying to give the fans what they want as well as this uh, awesome new generation of kids that are like all about that Sonic life these days. I just think it's so cool, uh, especially as a new parent who is looking down the barrel of like needing to find fun movies to watch with my daughter that both she and I will enjoy. This was a great example of one Mm. for sure. Paramount has, uh, yeah, you already mentioned the third film. Oh, also the Paramount Plus TV series uh, starring Knuckles as voiced by Idris Elba. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah, definitely the SCU is here. Get ready for it. And uh, yeah, I just, I was really bowled over by the movie. It, it, I do, I don't know, hit me up. Let me know what you think. It tops it as best video game movie ever made. I think at this point, we don't have that new Mario movie uh, hopefully that'll be a success for the people involved. If not, Sonic rules the rules the cinematic domain when it comes to uh, popular video game character 
uh, film adaptation. It wasn't until researching this episode that like, because the, the, the history of this movie really does weave its way throughout the entirety of Sonic's truly bizarre IP history from the deep cartoons to the, uh, awkward to Sonic extreme to, uh, to the awful, uh, to Sonic 06 and Shadow the Hedgehog, all the way to the modern era where like the meme lords have taken over. Like there's just, like Sonic was this oddity for so long, just this bizarre internet fandom uh, where you just made weird, uh, shitty uh, meme comics about him. You just pointed out that one piece of fan art where Knuckles and Tails and Sonic are all toilets. Like all this weird shit. And like now, thanks to this movie, Sonic is like a real character again. It's a real thing. He's up there with Mario, with Mickey Mouse. With, you know, it's it's no longer this yeah. bizarre kind of uh, weird friend in the corner of the room that you make jokes and about. And if they can put out like a big, super successful game on top of that, he's going to be... It's the I mean, Sonic Frontiers, I, ugh, that Breath of the Wild angle seems really weird. I don't know how that's going to work out. I know, but who knows? Maybe. Mm. I don't know. And, and hopefully, because Ian is a part of it. You're I right. Think, you're so. right. With Ian at the helm, I'm sure the gameplay will be perfect. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you write a game, you're like, by the way, jumping feels awesome as you're like doing yeah. the dialogue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, man, isn't it great how good the jumping in this is, Tails? Like, you just keep writing lines trying to, like, influence the game. Anyways, I love how the environmental storytelling really delivers without (laughs) over-explaining things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how influenced this is by Elden Ring. <laughs> Knuckles, Mecha Sonic, uh, Metal Sonic. Uh, Metal Sonic. Um, anyways, all right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this episode on Sonic the Hedgehog the movie. I had such a fun time with this one. If you'd like to follow us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We have, uh, for just $5 a month, bonus weekly episodes. And for $15 a month, join us for that Sunday study session. We watched the movie this last time, uh, you know, We'll cover it. We'll play the video game if it's a game. We all just hang out on a Sunday afternoon, and it's super fun. So consider it. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, also, check me out on twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. That's twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. I stream Monday, Tuesday, Friday. I'm better than any puppet out there also trying to stream. I am um, just really, really charismatic. You're being a real Sega of America about this, Holden. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Take it away, Puppet Jared. Well, Puppet Jared does what hold don't. There we go. How's that? <laughs> uh, I have a VTuber good. channel uh, called Puppet Jared. You can find it on Twitch and YouTube. I stream uh, basically whenever Holden isn't. And uh, the flagship uh, show is the Cartoon Dumpster. Every Thursday night, uh, I have found the most bizarre copyright derelict shows from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And me and a community of very funny, very uh, sincere people try our damnedest not to lose our minds as we watch. If you enjoy Saturday morning cartoons and MST3K, you will probably like the Cartoon Dumpster. Puppet Jared over on Twitch and YouTube. Hell yeah. And hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. Gotta go fast. Gotta go fast. Gotta go faster, 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 faster. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.